Welcome to Ride Along Chronicles. I'm Vicki. I'm Tina. And I'm Sally. We are three great friends who created our own support system as we raise our families in the challenging first responder lifestyle. Our confidential guests will share their stories in this safe space that didn't exist for us. So ride along with us as we chronicle lessons learned and provide helpful resources to keep Leo families in the front seat. On today's episode, we will hear what it's like for a police officer or any first responder, really, to ask for help that results in uh, attending a 60-day first responder treatment facility. You know, ladies, from where we came from, um, we all we ever heard, right, when we were in this lifestyle was that officers didn't share or talk about their personal struggles at work. You know, it was viewed as a sign of weakness, um, that they would be maybe outcast from their group, from their agency, maybe even from their own family or friends. Right. You know, a lot of us come from Leo families, and, and the perception is you man up, uh, what, pull yourself up from your bootstraps kind of mentality. And any sign of weakness um, would just ostracize them right right right. yeah and so the thought is that if they ignored those feelings they would be able to forget um, all about the trauma or the negativity that they faced every day and that's just proving not to be true they become that grumpy old man in the corner yeah (laughs) right Mm -hmm. so uh, right now we're thankfully times are changing Um, we have a lot more awareness on mental health and police work has changed Um, public perceptions have changed and from what I've learned so far not only just from doing this podcast but from what I've been reading on first responder social media sites from you know other news clippings um, other media outlets and and even just personal conversations right uh, agencies are becoming more aware thankfully mm-hmm. um, they're creating peer support groups and teams and Vic is you know number one on that topic or an expert on that topic um, and they're locating the right resources that are needed to really give assistance to first responders in need just developing great resources now yeah sure. yeah and it's challenging enough you know to ask for help so when they do um, they need the right care available to them and the right support from not only from the agencies but also from their families yeah, absolutely I, I absolutely agree with you. It's beyond critical that when that first responder comes forward that they not only get the best care, but also the best support all around, that they feel supported. And I mean, just think about how many times you hear people talking about counseling alone, that one-on-one counseling is intimidating enough. Right. And especially if they've never been and not have any, any right. idea of what to expect, to then be told, oh, by the way, we found some treatment for you and it's out of state, and you might be gone 30, 60, 90 plus days. Mm. Can't imagine. See ya. No, it yeah. can't. So we're lucky that we actually have someone here today who's been through that experience. Today we're actually here with Adam. Welcome, Adam. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. I mean, this is not an easy topic, I know, because Adam actually has been through something like this. Uh, he had this experience. Uh, you're a police officer for 12 years. You had a stellar career. You 
no matter from just a little bit that we've been chatting before the interview, it sounds like no matter what you were feeling, what struggles you had, what happened the day before, what was happening at home at the day when you showed up to work, it was about serving your community and being your best self, the best version of yourself you could be there for them. Um, but then one day that kind of started dwindling a little bit, right? Like life got a little bit, the balance of you know good versus evil and what we saw versus what we tried to you know separate, yeah. uh, <clears throat> balance changed and that armor that we all say that we wear, you know, that invisible kind of honor to not let feelings and emotions of what we see kind of uh, seep in, well, cracks started happening. And once there's even one crack, then little cracks come and now everything, what, what we could have before uh, maybe navigate, right, and put in a shelf and put in the right box in our, in our mind here, uh, compartmentalize, they start seeping in. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it starts affecting all parts of our life. And it sounds like that's what happened to you. And I appreciate you coming in today to, to actually share this um, because I know it's not, most cops have a hard time talking about it, let alone you know sharing. But I think from what I heard you say, if you can help one, one other officer that can maybe go through this. Yeah. I think if you can change somebody's life so they don't experience what you experience, so they can head it off before they get to the point at which I got to, uh, for me, it'd be huge. Yeah. You know? Well, with that, can you share, you know, go back to before you even got any treatment? What was life, living your life? What was it like living, Adam, uh, day to day? Can you describe a little bit about what your life was and how you got through each day? Uh, so work was primarily, you know, 24-7. You live the job. Um, it's something you're, you, at the time you were proud of. Um, you thought, you know, it represented... Uh, your, your service to the community, you were doing well, um, you're helping people. And so I took my job first and, and foremost is, is top priority. Um, I have two small children and I go to work every day. Um, I'd work all day with the squad I was on. Um, typically the, the detail that we were on would lead us into being called out at night. Um, we placed a lot of uh, GPS trackers on cars and a lot of the bad guys that we were dealing with, they, they go mobile at night. And so... You know, I never know when I was going to be out, when I was going to be home. Um, I never had a schedule for uh, my wife and kids. Uh, they just kind of ran with the flow, and mm -hmm. everybody wor worked around my time. Um, but it got to a point where, yeah, my bucket did get too full, um, and I just I couldn't contain it anymore. You know, it was work, 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 uh, and then kind of, you know, the pandemic, 2020, uh, a lot of the political issues. Uh, things that we were dealing with in the uh, judicial system, uh, it just started to shut down and, and break down. So did you find that for you, the more you didn't feel um, good, the more you worked? Like was work an escape for you in some ways to not have so much off time? Yeah, and that's the only way, like the way that my mind works, the way, my, the, way the person I am is if I slow down, then my mind starts to think and wander. And the only way that I could keep straight, I mean, I wasn't sleeping. I, I sleep two, three hours a night. Um, wow. You know, I'd, I just, I had no rest, but I had to keep going because if I didn't keep going, then my problems would start setting in. All right. And how was it, if you can share for those that maybe don't know, you know, when you're feeling like this, especially maybe earlier on, and you would come home and you'd have that family event or family dinner, even something that simple. Can you remember what sometimes it was like or how you even got through that? 
It's tough. I mean, my wife has shown me pictures and videos of family events and things that we've done. Um, I mean, since 2015-ish, it's been a blur. I don't remember a lot of things and, and activities and events in our lives. Um, you know, it's... I think with if you if you keep yourself going on it, you know, and keep yourself focused on it, but for me, it, it shut me down. So it was almost like robotic, in some ways. Like oh yeah, I mean, you, you weren't present. It doesn't sound no. Like there's you were no there. presence. Yeah, I would be secluded. Um, we'd go to an event, and I don't trust people. Um, you know, you look at everybody as a bad guy, right. and I worked in the worst of the worst areas. And you know, when my kids started profiling people based upon what I was saying or doing, yeah. I knew there was an issue. You know, because they see how I am. They don't know how to act around me. Oh, dad's in a bad mood. Um, you know, don't go around dad today. Or my wife was trying to prep him before I got home that, hey, I'm having a bad day. Uh, leave him alone. And this uh, is stuff that you learned later. Stuff that I learned later. But at the time. No idea. You just kind of like, this was life. This is life. Yeah. And then as you kind of continued in this pattern, because, I mean, obviously, the, the luxury about shift work is you can avoid, right? You can avoid some of these family events or the everyday because work always comes first, especially on a call-out kind of squad. But at 2020 came and, you know, the world was changing. Everything was being, you know, the ugly. Every Just police work in general and the perception of it has changed. Um, we found in the news, you know, officers started retiring, resigning, or, or just had to always watch their back, right? Mm -hmm. So as all this is changing, when things hit for you, you know, hit to that point of, somebody realizing it and changing for the better, I hope. Um, at that point, how were you surviving before somebody actually said you're getting help? Can you explain like uh, what a day was like? I mean, you talked about blur. I mean, were you angry? Were, like what were some of your... Yeah, I was super like? angry. I mean, early on in my career and for guys who've been in, doing the job a lot longer than I have, you know, there was a time after 2001 and, and later on where Police officers were respected. The community respected you. Um, it was a respectable job, and, and nobody really hated you. And fast forward 2020, I mean, everybody hated you. And that was my opinion. That was my perception. When in the grand scheme of things, like learning now, not everybody hates you. But when the media is cramming it down people's throats, you're only seeing that small bit, uh, small group of people that dislike you, but it's 90% of what's on TV it's all over social media and over time like you can be called a racist you can be called this so many times before you're like i've had enough right. you know it's it eats away at you because it's like why am i doing this job why am i potentially sacrificing my life you know we arrested a guy four times in a week the judge lets him out no bond three times that week just lets him out on the street the fourth time he carjacks a guy and kills him who's responsible for that right. you There's know it sounds like there's no hope anywhere. You know, you're, yeah. you're at work a lot, so now you're hearing it in the media, seeing it in the in the public. You're working so much that all you see is the negative, yep. and all you see is people coming at us. That how how do you not it's tough. live in the dark, right? How do you not feel like the negative is all we know? Yeah, and I had know? had a guy that I worked with got killed, and uh, it was by some bad people. And for me, it really like really tore me up. So kind of talking about cracks before you know in no. the armor do you feel looking back now that when you were in such a dark place obviously because you started kind of letting everything become personal or come in into your personal feelings did you feel like everything else uh 
now the defenses are down. Oh, yeah. You couldn't par- car- car- I can't say that word. Compartmentalize. Yes. What we normally should. Yeah. You know, or could. Yeah, I couldn't contain it anymore. I mean, it was, for me, I know we'll, we'll probably get into it, but, you know, anger was a big part of my life. And learning now, um, anger is, is just an under emotion. You know, it's coming out in defense of other things. And for me, with what I was doing, uh, it was mainly fear. Yeah. And it was fear for my kids. It was fear for what I saw society becoming. Um, wow. You know, it's terrifying. You know, people, you go and you work the worst areas and you go back home to your own little bubble in your community and you don't see these things. I mean, we're grateful to live where we do, have the things we have. And when you see the world, you know, deteriorating before your eyes and people choose not to see it, they turn a blind eye to it. And you're screaming like, this is bad. This is what's going to happen. It sounds like you're living hypervigilance all the time. All the time. All the time. And when you don't have that safe space at home to let your, you know, your head just rest and feel safe, uh, where is that safe place, you know? And it just, I'm sure, piles on. So when things got to that culmination point, um, you know, I know you had shared off, Caster, that, um, you know, it came to work. When it came to work, somebody, you know, and you you asked for help at work, uh, your peer support team did find you some resources and started looking and told you that they're gonna help you out. And I know that, you know, in the end, your agency was not very supportive. And I'm sure that added, I could only imagine the feelings of betrayal and stress that that added to your recovery. Um, can only, you know, who, who wouldn't yeah. feel? But it doesn't really matter, is what I'm hearing from you, um, what's going on the outside. When that point happened that you kind of said, I need help, which is so huge, I don't even know if, you know, any cop to even say that, yeah. forget, I think any human to even ask for help is so vulnerable, but then to say it um, and not care that anybody else knows or other coworkers know. But when you got that help, how did you feel when you were told like, okay, we're going to get you help, first of all? It felt as, you know, it was a relief um, prior to that. I mean, months prior to that, I, I literally thought I was going to die of a heart attack. I just, my, I couldn't sleep. Uh, I always had chest pains, you know, I always had tightness in my chest. I, I just, I literally felt like I was dying and I didn't know how to keep it in. I didn't, you know, I didn't know what to do. And I thought if people would never understand me, that people would think I'm crazy. And so by the time they were able to get me some help, it just felt like a ton of bricks off my shoulders. Wow. So you're getting, I mean, that's, to digest alone for a minute. I mean, to, to even get to say that it's a relief out loud is a big deal. And then you're told, okay, we're gonna get you some help. And did you at your slightest think that that help meant leaving out of state and being told it could be 30 plus days that you're gonna be gone away from your family? Uh, did that even register with you? Did, did you even care no. where it was at that point? No, no, okay. I just told them, I don't care where we gotta go, what we gotta do, you gotta get me home. Because was you know, it a little bit of a relief to be away from the family? Uh, yeah, I would say. I, I knew I put a lot on my family. Um, I caused a lot of issues, and so I think to have that space. I mean, my wife told me a number of times, like, you know, I knew you were in the place that you needed to be, but at the same time, she's like, I got to spend a lot of time with our girls. Right. Like it was like everybody took a big breath when I left. And was like, we can step back, we can slow life down. Nobody's walking on eggshells. 
you know, a lot of their anxiety went away. And so for me, I was glad they could have that time and that I could go and focus on me. And so when you left, you know, and I know it's, I'm assuming, you know, just being a peer support, you know, we don't really hang on with that. When somebody says they need help, we usually are on it. Within a few days, I'm assuming you were gone. Um, what were those first 24 hours like? Or even just, you know, getting to that door, if you will. Looking back, do you even remember feeling anything, thinking anything particular? I mean, it was very emotional. You go and the facility's all first responders, uh, police, fire, nurses, um, and so you show up and, and literally, like I told you before, I thought that people would think you're crazy. And you're like, nobody's going to understand me. Nobody. And you show up, you do uh, your your initial assessment and intake with, with the facility. And you, day one, they walk me into a room with 40 people in it that are sitting in a circle having a group chat. And I'm like, what's going on here? Because I, I literally got off an airplane yeah. and I'm, sit, I'm seated in a room with all these people. You know, they tell you they're all first responders, but you sit back outside the circle and you sit there and listen to these stories. And I'm like, wait a minute here. You know, it clicked right away. It's like, all these people are not general public. You know, they understand what's going on. They've experienced these things. And to listen to some of the stories, it was like, okay, you know, it's, this is going to be good. And so it brought on a lot of, uh, for me, I was very determined, like, I don't want to come over here and waste 60 days of my life. I want to put the time in. I want to get something out of it. And the group of people and the staff was amazing. You know, it helped me a lot. And they were, they were able to get me to open up. Did you ever, can I ask, I meant to ask earlier, prior to this treatment facility that you talked about, have you ever been in any counseling before, personal for anything? Like, did you even know how counseling worked? No, no. I grew up in a family that, you weren't allowed to talk about anything. I mean, a lot of my 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 mom's stuff would have been open to scrutiny if we were allowed to talk about stuff. Sure. And so you just didn't talk about it. And so for me... Um, to walk into this room, I'm sure. Initially. Yeah, it was like, holy cow, you know, this is something that, you know, I'm supposed to be the big tough cop. And then you listen to these, these stories. I mean, and there was, there was stories that just break your heart. And, you know, it was... Did it make you feel not alone oh, for yeah. the first time? Like, you're yeah. not crazy. Yeah. It would be a little comforting. Like, yeah. There's yeah. this took... many people in a room with that are feeling like I am. Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, it was very emotional. It was very eye-opening. And, you know, it just made you feel not alone. So. And then how were – that was the first day. And then as the days went on, can you share a little bit, you know, kind of what was the rest of that first week like? So we basically live uh, – on campus or in-house and so you lose pretty much all your privileges they take your phone um just so you're solely for focusing on you they don't want outside distractions you know you want to go get groceries you want to go get something they got to drive you you don't have a car um i it's it's so that you can focus on you and you know they're going to set up a basically a game plan or uh, what they want you to do. You're going to meet with your doctors. You're going to meet with your psychiatrist or your counselor. You're going to meet with your groups, and you're doing something every day. Very structured, it sounds. Very like. structured. And what I don't think most people realize is it's almost like for the first time somebody's taking care of your basic needs. Yeah. You know your everyday household, the things that normally in a household can be very stressful to somebody that's already overwhelmed with their own emotions in general. So then you can just worry about you. Yeah. And what you need. Yep. 
And so as the week kind of turned into the next week, can you share a little bit about what, what changed, if anything? Did you even realize? Um, I think the biggest thing is just knowing that, you know, like we said, but you're not alone. You're safe. Um, going back to the counseling part of it, you know, I, w I would have never thought about it. And the guys that, you know, we've been through some critical incidents that, you know, counseling is forced or mandated after a shooting or some of these people, they don't, they don't deal with first responders. And you go in there and you tell them a story and they cry and break down and they tell you don't come back again. Yeah. It goes, wow, something's really wrong with me. You know, and so like the, the staff deals nothing but with first responders. And so having that ability to understand us and some of them were first responders. I mean, some of these guys' stories, these, the staff, pretty amazing. I mean, he, he would always say, you know, one guy in particular would always say, do you have food? Do you have a roof over your house? You know, do you have these things? Well, yeah, then you're okay. But to know, like, his story, I mean, it was heartbreaking. And to be a, a first responder and then go to prison and then to come out, you know, and wow. have this job to, to give back. You know, he became a, a counselor and, and gave back, but that was just one of many. And so to be able to relate to him, it really opened up that dialogue. And you're able to dig deep and get a lot of stuff out. So did it give you, it sounds like, some maybe hope and some trust oh, in yeah. these people? Yeah. And so do you think if you had walked into a facility, you know, who could have been just as great, you know, just as many resources, but maybe did not have the same amount of understanding and folks that have lived this lifestyle and understood not just the, the thoughts and feelings, but the vulnerability, the fears, the control, all these other things that we deal with, do you think you would have been as apt to be open and to allow yourself to actually embrace that? If it wasn't, I wouldn't have, no. Okay. No, I just, I think the understanding by them allowed it. Um, you brought up a good topic, control. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would say 90% of my battle was control. Mm -hmm. You know, I I thought I had control. I thought I controlled my life. I thought I was, you know, under control of everything. Right. And when everything hit rock bottom, I mean, I hit rock bottom. It was, it was bad. And I realized I'm going to have to give up some of my control. I mean, I thought it was, right. but in reality, it was no. It, I had none, and and the things that angered me, the things that were causing me issues in my life, uh, were me losing control in my mind. I didn't control this. Mm -hmm. Well, then fear set in, and then anger set in, and that was a big spiral, down downward spiral. So, like the story you told yourself, or the story that you were thinking you were living, is not actually what no. you were living. No, not at all. And it took me a while, and, you know, I'm still working on it, but all you can do is you can put in the time. And you put in the effort, you put in the time, um, you're going to make big strides. But yeah. you got to be willing to put in the time. So in those first 30 days, um, can you describe for those that maybe still don't know what exactly it even looks like? Uh, as you got into that, you know, first week, now you're stable, it sounds like. Now you have a routine, you, you have a plan for you. What was kind of the day-to-day -day, uh, without too much detail as far as you know name or anything but just process if you will what are some things that, that you lived so we did start off everybody got transported together um, in a van we called it the, the druggy buggy um, 
So everybody would wake up in the morning, you get up at seven, you go in, um, you do your first sessions, um, you would sit through, you would uh, do your group work, they'd pull you out individually to go see the doctor, to go see your counselor, you would do your sessions, we did a lot of EMDR, um, a lot of uh, different different therapies within it, um, but it's all random throughout the day. And then afternoon, you have yoga, you've got group activities. Uh, twice a week, you have the gym. They have a weight room there, pretty nice facility. Um, and they're trying to get you to just get back into a north, normal, healthy routine. And so, you know, if, if you met with, you know, the yoga instructor in the afternoon, the next day you did equine therapy, you know, the next day you did this. But it, it, that was always after lunch. Okay. So everything was like a breakout. But you focus mainly in the morning on you, group work. Um, so it's it's going in, relating, talk about issues. I mean, and we got some pretty good discussions. Huh. And to be able to bounce it off people and get feedback. I mean, it's... It, Was it I, hard at times sometimes? Were people pretty honest? Oh, yeah. And like, it's, like I said, I mean, just some of the stuff was... You think you have problems, and then you hear some of the other stuff going on in people's lives, and it's like, holy cow. I mean... Like I said, some of it was very heartbreaking. Um, what did it do for you? Like when you're, you know, when you're hearing that people successfully have changed their whole life, like you said, some of these um, counselors and other facilitators, mm -hmm. to those that were in there with you who were going through the trenches like you, you mentioned, you know, you didn't feel alone and you felt like, oh, wow, like his story's worse than mine. Do you feel like that helped you a little bit to kind of find where you stood in all that? Yeah. where your hope was you know yeah plan. and i think the biggest thing is like you get so locked in on a career and you have to make it a number you have to get to this number you have to do this um you lose your identity and your identity becomes just a job mm -hmm. and so you'll see these guys and they'll go hey i don't know what else to do with my life i have no talents i have no skills i have no anything and i, I can't tell you right. how many people in the group session said that and it's like what do you like to do what have you done what did you do before you were a cop okay. There's so many jobs out there, and if you're going to put in the work that you put in as being a, a law enforcement officer, just think of putting that time in somewhere else. Right. But they're like, i got to get to that number. And that was probably, you know, out of the facility, there was quite a few guys there that were retired. Oh, wow. I mean, it was, it was amazing to hear their side of it because here we all are trying to get to that number, and right. here they are after that number, and all of a sudden, boom, they're retired. Okay, here's your paperwork, here's your badge, your coin, whatever. You're out the door. Right. Now you're not an asset to them. Now nobody's calling you every day. Nobody's paying attention to you. Right. You spent 20 plus years, you know, damaging your family. Now your family doesn't want anything to do to you or do with you. And now you're focused on how am I going to get through the rest of life? And they had some major issues. Well, there, it sounds like they got lost. They got stuck. Yeah. There's no like, there is no second. They're not only dealing with the current, they're also now trying to figure out their future at yeah. the same time. Mm -hmm. And so you mentioned before EMDR, you mentioned, you know, yoga, you mentioned, you know, all these other coping skills. It sounds like part of that structure and routine was introducing a lot of these coping mechanisms and these uh, modalities, if you will, that most of us don't talk about or we think are kind of, you know, silly or something. Yeah. Um, do you, I mean, some of that stuff, was it new to you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've. I've I've always worked out. I've always hit the gym. Um, I've lost 40 pounds now. Um, but, you know, it, it, you think, oh, I'm not going to do yoga or I'm not going to do equine therapy. I'm not going to do this. Um, it was good. You know, it teaches you something new. Uh, you got to be open to it. 
Uh, I'm not very flexible. Doing yoga was not my strong point. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm there's there's some laughs in there. With that, by the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah but still get resistance. <laughs> yeah, you go in there and it may not look pretty, but yeah, it, okay. you get there and you haven't slept. I mean, you get two three hours of sleep a night for everything leading up to you being there, and you get there and you're able to relax. Yeah. I mean, you go into yoga and some people are really into it. Some people aren't. Next thing you know, a couple of people fall asleep. Yeah, I was going to Because um, it's right. kind of putting them at a place where they can sleep. Right. Um, so it's just working on different things that will benefit you in life. You know, we did a thing called breath works. Um, oh, yes. You really work on breathing, um, trying to slow your heart rate down, trying to slow the anxiety down. Uh, things you work on uh, that I do before bed uh, to try to help me sleep. Because uh, that's the biggest thing. You're not going to grow. You're not going to advance unless you sleep. And for first responders, and, and I'm sure people listening, uh, especially with shift work, we don't know when you get called out. And then family life problems, it's hard. Sleep is the number one killer. Yeah. And then if you're not sleeping, it's it's bringing everything else down. You mentioned also anxiety. Yeah. And I know that's, you know, sometimes that could be a hot topic. But in reality, it's also probably, and I'm not a clinician, so I don't have numbers. But from what I hear, it's the number one issue that you'll hear a cop admit to you know we'll we'll admit to anger Mm -hmm. not usually fear right and we'll admit to yeah i just got some anxiety when in reality like you mentioned before it's like an elephant sitting on my chest kind of feeling or the hypervigilance 24 7 what was anxiety for you kind of in in the beginning and then kind of as you went through this treatment can you share a little bit about that yeah i think my anxiety was the biggest part one prior was just the distrust with society Mm -hmm. i mean I didn't trust anybody. I was constantly watching my back. I mean, the people I deal with, um, luckily I didn't work in the area or I don't live in the area I work, but you, you always got to worry about, you don't want to tell people you're a cop. People are going to spit in your food. People are going to do this. Um, I'd always pack my lunch because I could never go anywhere. I couldn't trust anybody that would serve me. I couldn't, you know, I'd walk down the street and and constantly looking around back in some wall in a, in a restaurant. Um, it's not healthy. Oh, it's not. And people think, oh, you know, I got to protect all these people in here if somebody comes in here shooting. Mm-hmm. You do that every day of your life for 10 plus years, 20 plus years, 30 years. It wears down on everything. Yeah. Well, anxiety breeds mistrust. Yeah. You know, and, and people don't see that. You know, it makes you, like you said before, kind of full circle. It makes you then start living in it and believing yeah. that everybody's out to get you or, every, or everything is dark and, you know, going to come back to haunt you instead of, okay, this is uncomfortable now, right? And maybe yep. I don't trust this situation right now, but we'll fix it, we'll handle it, and move on. It's not everybody that does this, but it, it, I'm, it breeds yeah. all this kind of... So for you, as you are in treatment in those first 30 days where you're not only learning new routines and <laughs> new modalities and new things like yoga. New skills, um, yeah. Yeah, new skills, thank you, Tina, yeah. yes. Um, how did you handle that anxiety? I mean, did you did medication, if you can share? Did any particular treatment alone help you with that for you? A big part was the group discussions and medication. Um, I do take meds. Uh, I've always been anti-meds. I mean, I, Most cops even are. if I have backache or shoulder ache, I wouldn't pop Advil, nothing like that. Yeah. Um, just for fear. I, I had some friends that got hooked on pain pills um, when I was younger. and. Sure. You know, I've always been against them. Um, nothing's wrong with me, so I don't need meds. Um, and then you get to realize meds are helping. You know, uh, the meds that I'm on, I take one, and it helps can out you, a lot. 
can you share a little bit what it looking back maybe what it did for you i mean we don't have to talk about specific meds but for those that maybe are still struggling and are in that position where maybe their doc's saying mm-hmm. you know you need it especially because you know like cops think that every med is going to get them a ua and going to get them fired because it's you know it's a it's our control narcotic kind of thing yeah. versus if your therapist or your doctor knows what you do for a living and that you drive and all that there's a ton of medications that can help yeah you know um, can you share for you though what maybe meds did for you if you can? It's balanced out my mood. For me personally, uh, getting it was a little game changer. I mean, I tried sleep meds, couldn't do it. I gave it a shot. I mean, I was open to it. It did nothing for me. I mean, it made me. It wasn't beneficial, so I just I stuck with the one that worked. And so, did you find that being on a constant kind of med for you that works? Did your sleep get better? Yeah, I think the sleep got better as I got more off my chest. You know, I think you have so much bottled up inside, you're so wound up that if you got more off your chest and you're more open, you know, it it felt like more weight was off your shoulders. I I just wanted to kind of piggyback off of that, kind of like stops that racing mind, the the thoughts continuously coming, Yeah, that, that feeling when you're sharing and then the mood stabilizer balances you out, like you said. Yeah. It just stops that racing mind. Yep. And that's yep. the biggest thing. I mean, your mind's just going, 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 going. And it's like, holy cow, how do I shut this off? Yeah. Um, it's it's hard. Yeah. And it's like, I told everybody at the beginning when I first got to, to therapy, I'm like, I could say, like, if I was hooked on a narcotic, this is the reason I am how I am. Mm-hmm. You know, this is how, what's controlling me. This is what's causing my issues. But for first responders, you look inside your head and you're like, okay, I've seen hundreds of dead people. I've dealt with really bad incidents. I've dealt with all this terrible stuff. Nobody's going to believe me. Everybody's going to think I'm crazy. Like if I open my mouth and talk to anybody. Um, Mm -hmm. So for me, I mean, being there was huge. And and so as you started kind of unraveling some of these demons, as we've heard them be called, some of our, you know, dark secrets, all these things that just kind of piled on. Um, how did treatment change? You know, as you moved from one phase to the other, can you share kind of? So at the beginning, you work a lot on you. Um, they're trying to get you open, crack the shell, uh, really get you to get everything out there. We then slowly transition. Um, they have a family week. Okay. And so, you know, it's whatever time you came in, it could be you you might have only been there a few weeks before family week some people might have been there 60 90 days before they hit yeah. their family week so because everybody comes in at a different time sure uh so i was there i think i was there a little over 30 days uh maybe 40 45 days and we did family week so my wife came in and it's probably like it's one of the most powerful things like you'll ever experience it's it's crazy i mean i think there was 50 two of us there so then you bring in your families um and we do a big circle and so 52 plus people plus their families wow and so everybody sits in a room together everybody spouses and and you write your letters to each other uh of whatever your whatever your vices or whatever your what's what's controlling you and what's causing the issue you write each other a letter um and you have to read it in front of everybody and so Yeah, I mean, people get nervous of public speaking, and then you get sure. public speaking with everything that's... Vulnerability. All your deepest thoughts. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's 
So it was... Uh, Talk about being exposed. Oh, yeah. They want to put yeah. you the most vulnerable. Um, and then you get feedback. So you'll have the, the doctors and, and the people who run the facility, um, the head counselors and stuff, they all sit in. So everybody listens. You sit in chairs in the middle of the circle, but you'll face each other, read the letters, and then uh, you'll get some input from people so that, yeah, you may think this, but your mind's not opening up this way to it. So they'll kind of give you that different perspective. Wow. So for me, it was big. Like with my wife, it was huge. Um, you know, we got a lot of things out. Did they have something separate for the families other than when you guys were together? Uh, so they do, yeah, during that family week, they all go through their own classes. Um, they're prepping them uh, prior to that uh, reading where everybody reads their letters. Uh, kind of what we're doing, what we're going through, showing the facilities, um, the work that we've done so far. Uh, and then they open it up amongst them. So the spouses were there with their own group discussions to discuss their problems and what they have been going wow. through so they could all relate to each other. So like my wife has made friends and she's gone to other uh, groups with these people after I got back. So it was for her, she made a lot of connections. But just to give the family that perspective and then it sounds like a network of some resources so they're not alone. Yeah. And they're not also, you know, not knowing what you went through. I'm assuming they also probably got exposed to some of what their other halves were learning, what their first responder was going through in yeah. treatment. And it was tough at first because, you know, you're picking up all these things. And, you know, for like me, my biggest thing was you, you learn that everybody's on their own journey. And so you'll have people that will be married forever many years, uh, you know, could be one year, could be 20 years. And when you come at them and you tell them, you're on your journey, I can't control you. I'm on my journey. Wherever our two paths meet, wherever our two journeys come together is where they come together. But what you do on your journey and what I do on my journey is it's different and so the biggest thing is like you you look at marriage like oh i control that person or we're together we have to be mutual you're not so we took a time we took time apart while i was there to really focus on ourselves um and figure out our what we have in common um what we don't have in common uh things that we can work on things she hasn't been doing things that would benefit her to do more um that's right so it was tough uh, because her not being in any kind of therapy or counseling for me to start throwing stuff at her. She's like, what do you mean? Like we get divorced or, you know, what's <laughs> what are the these thing? magic words? Yeah. 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 And so unsettling for her. once you get your phone back and you're talking, you're able to text or talk, um, and have more of a dialogue with your family, uh, while you're there. Uh, you know, it's good because I'd write letters to my kids um, and they were like, they were so excited to get mail. <laughs> yeah. You know, they don't, they're so young, they don't really get what mail is. Uh, it's an old ancient thing to them. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I like when they pick up a phone with a cord and they say it's an olden times phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it, is, it was a big deal for them, but we could write letters back and forth and really express um, kind of what was going on. Uh, but every day is a battle. I mean, I deal with it constantly still. Uh, well, so, so before we get into that, though, like, you know, I know we've been kind of walking through some of that, what it looked like for you and what you went through. But can you share what were some of your biggest struggles there and what were some of your biggest breakthroughs? Are you able to share anything? Yeah. Uh, the biggest struggle would have been, it still is, uh, outside influence, uh, the world. I mean... 
that's the biggest thing for me. Uh, looking at the world, looking what it's come to, how divided it is. You're not alone. And I, I had immersed my, like, I was so into it. I was so deep into it that there was two teams in my life. There was us and them. And it was a clear divide. And if you weren't on us and you were one of them, you were the enemy. And it's sad because then you become narrow-minded and you become just like the people you despise. And so when I realized as a cop, like I was using, I was losing empathy. I was losing compassion. I mean, I started, I started tr not treating people. I still did my job good, but the, the emotions that would come out towards people. Well, you looked at them. I knew something was wrong. Yeah. They weren't, they, you weren't doing what you were doing before. It, yeah. it changed. You, you were skewed because yeah. you were not yourself. What about breakthroughs? The breakthrough would have, the biggest one would have been with, with my family. Like, you know, it's, you think that, like we talked about, you think you're in control. You think you've got everything down. You know, you're a mastermind. You can juggle work. You can juggle family. But really, your family's all a blur. Um, my home life sucked. It was terrible. And for me, I'm lucky that my kids are younger. Um, but I was like, I was so sad that I had missed out on so many years, you know? So, yeah. But I mean, you came out of there with a new perspective on what family is to you, your yeah. family. Yeah. And have you found that? if you hadn't even gone through any of this treatment, because, you know, one-on-one -on -one counseling takes a while, right? yeah. no matter who you are. You know, it takes a while to build up and, you know, once a week, once every other week, but having this kind of immersion to look at yourself, take off those layers, start doing some of that work. If you walked out of there realizing how important family is, which is all we hear, right? Even from the academy. Keep your family separate, keep work separate so family doesn't get tainted and you have a place to go, but we all know after about three years that, yeah, it's not easy, possible. and it's almost it's impossible. Not, and they give possible. your spouse one class at the academy yeah. on how to be a, a spouse Support to a police it. officer. Yes. You know, it's, and it's yeah. a joke. finding bullets in the washing machine is not right. what yeah. your first responder comes home through after what he sees and, and yeah. has to do every day. So, the fact that you, you know, kind of got this intense treatment, and you came out with family. Have you found since, you know, just being home that just having, if that's all you got out of it, right? You've got meds, you know, you've got some coping skills on board, but if coming out, the one thing was how important family is and how it's important for you to be part of that family, yeah. right? And to be present. I mean, how do you, you, you don't get that back. I mean, what is no, that? No, I, I just think you, you look at how quick your kids grow up. You look at how quick life, I mean, it changes. Um, you got to cherish it. You have to just slow down. I mean, the biggest thing, like I said earlier, was control too. I had to let a lot of control go. I can't get, I couldn't snap and get mad at my kids for the smallest things. Um, I couldn't snap and get mad at my wife for the smallest things. In, in the grand scheme of thing, it doesn't matter. And at the time when you're bringing home all that bad garbage from work, it's easy to snap. It's easy to feel good. Anger made you feel good at the time. Yeah. I, I'd like to ask, um, so one of your biggest fears you said was the society, right? So as your treatment's coming to an end, you're going to go home. Is there a fear of facing the family? And what were those first few days like, or the first couple of weeks, or even the first couple of months like um, with your with your family? It was super awkward. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. I got home and I felt out of place. Um, 
I've lived out of a backpack for 60 days. I mean, like, you think you need all this stuff in life, and you don't. Yeah. You know, it's like I have four four pairs of clothes. I got a pair of shoes. And uh, you're able to survive. You got your wallet, your phone. Uh, you don't need much. And so when I came home to my house, after living in a house with 14 people, um, you're like, holy cow. I, it's quiet. I don't have, you know... I don't have uh, the things I was dealing with uh, at the facility I was at. Is this like I felt out of place in my own house, and it, it was tough. It took me a couple weeks. Um, just weird to be back around family um, to make sure, knowing that it was almost like the roles reversed. Like now you're walking on eggshells, trying to make sure you're implementing everything you learned, trying to make it successful when you return home uh, to not be a failure or to not, you know, to throw all that work away that you did. And so it was hard, but as far as society goes, with everything that happened to me without getting into details, um, my lack of trust with people uh, just went in the garbage. I didn't trust anybody in society. I didn't trust people I worked with. I didn't trust a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And for me, um, you know, it was a lot of betrayal, a lot of things that I had to work on. And I still get people that, I changed my phone number and stuff. They'll reach out through somebody to try to get a hold of me, and I'm like, I'm good. I don't need to deal with it. I don't need to hear it. The things that matter to me are my family, the things that I worked on while I was there. I'm implementing those. Um, and if you don't really matter in my life, then you don't really matter. You know. Mm -hmm. So it it's, sounds like you're intentionally choosing what to engage in and what to not. Yeah, yeah. What's a new boundary. Of Absolutely, yeah. a new boundary. That was the biggest thing. Is like when I was a police officer, I never knew how to say no. And whether it was a boss, whether it was a shift, whether it was um, anything, yeah, you just couldn't say no. And you get into this routine of like, I got to make as much money as I can. I got to get as much overtime as I can. I got to keep going. You know, I, my family needs this. I knew I want this, you know, and you don't slow down. And so when you have no boundaries, you can't live your life. And so for me, like now, lots of people know, no. And it's not to be rude. It's not to be mean. I, it's no. it's to say, you know, my time is my time. Respect my time. And, you know, you will lose some people. You will lose some friends along the way, people who want to take advantage of you. Or if you're not um, beneficial in their life, sure. it is what it is. Your family is more important. Um, going back to the uh, being awkward when you came home. So you're feeling the awkwardness. How are the kids responding to you? What was their... Um, did they feel like, how do we need to be with dad? You know, did they even know. Did they, yeah, did, what was their realization? What was their, um, I, I want to say, what did they get from it, from your treatment? And how are they now? I mean, my relationship with them was definitely better. Mm -hmm. um, they were so excited when I came home uh, just to have me there. You know, you look at, you're looked at by them as the big personal protector, you know, um, nobody feels safe without you type right. of deal. And so for them, I mean, they're two loving, uh, girls and they wanted to do activities. They wanted to do all this stuff, things that we haven't done. Uh, they wanted me to be more involved and, uh, they were just so happy to, to try to move past where we were and their outlook on where I was going in life. Um, there were, pretty stoked for me so so it sounds like this was a blessing 
going and getting help, working on yourselves for your family, it sounds like, and more than anything for you. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, it's really hard to say, you know, prior to hitting rock bottom, I would have never asked for help. I just didn't trust that you asked for help and the next thing you know, you're worried about them saying you're not fit for duty, you're not... You know, they're going to take your gun. So you have fears. And then you have the stigma that you're weak amongst your peers. And, you know, I've always been looked at as one of the the go-to guys. And so when everything happened, people were in shock. I mean, people were in absolute shock of this. This can't be him. He doesn't have any problems. You know, he's the guy that leads everybody. And I just told him. And I was completely transparent with everybody. Um... I've always been honest my whole life. I think, it, you know, even in the worst times, you have to be brutally honest. And that's, I can lay my head down at the end of the night knowing that I was honest about everything. I tried to get as much help as I could um, because I needed it. And if people find out what's going on in your life or something comes to fruition and people are aware of your problems, it is what it is because people also have their problems. Yeah. And if you can get your problems out there and make people aware that, hey, he got help for his problems. Maybe I can get help for mine. Um, I've had a couple guys reach out to me that have had problems or that are having problems. And what and would I, you say to them? What would you say if somebody if somebody came to you and was as low as you were before you got treatment? Yeah. You know, and maybe work didn't find out. Maybe their family situation was different. Doesn't matter. If there was an officer right now that came to you and said, "Here's what's going on," and it mirrors what you were feeling, what would you say to them about? the type of treatment or what you went through, would you recommend it? Oh, yeah. What yeah. would you want them to know? I want them to know you're not alone. I mean, these these facilities are designed specifically for first responders. Be open to it. Don't feel like you're alone. You're not crazy. Uh, there's so many people out there. And on the other side of the spectrum, you know, police officers look at firefighters. Like, oh, I should have been a firefighter. <laughs> I can tell you being in that facility with firefighters, changed my life and my perspective towards firefighters you know it you get so narrow-minded to it you know it's the red and the blue and everybody's got these problems we all deal with horrific calls we all have a lot of problems in life and if you can be open to it and you can willing to put in the time and your family's willing to help you do it because if i would have i can't go back and say i should woulda coulda my life came to this point. I have to accept it. I had no control over it. Um, I accept who I am. And at the beginning, I had a hard time accepting who I became. But if they can realize that and not get to that point, I would say jump in head first. Get as much out of it as you can. So looking back, you said, you know, we all do shoulda, woulda, coulda. It's the number one, you know, I think no matter who you are, we yeah. always do that twenty twenty hindsight that really does nothing but give us more pain and more confusion I think yeah but you know we do also bring to the table that you know you did learn something going back and looking at what could have been or what should have been if there's something you could have done different right meaning when it comes to realizing that you needed help and realizing that you were not living well you know you were not well in general um, what would you have told your yourself or even a younger officer let's say that is kind of going down that path what advice would you give i would think the biggest is you know the control you you look at what you can control and what you can't 
because I look at early uh, law enforcement, me, early police officer, I love my job. It was like, oh, we're driving fast, we're kicking butt, we're arresting people, we're doing this. And over time, you really look at it and you go, this is bothering me, this is bothering me, this makes me mad. And you think that by doing this or doing more of this, more control over it, you're able to control, you're able to deal with life. And just realizing you have no control. You are a piece of sand on a beach. I mean, you're just a small piece of the pie. And to think that this family, this department, this this lifestyle, um, you know, this brotherhood, you know, you have to contribute as much as you can. Don't let your family down. Remember your family. This is just a job. It's not your identity. This job does not define you. This job provides food and a house for your family. And if you take it any more than that, that's what I would probably tell myself is less control. You don't have control over these situations. And do this job to provide a good life for your family and realize that it's just a job. I, I took it way too personal. I think a lot of do. Yeah. A lot do. I have to tell you, Adam, like the fact that you even shared all this, um, I know it wasn't easy. And I know it's not something that, you know, everybody just wants to come in and just share, you yeah. know. Yeah. But I just appreciate it because what people don't realize is your recovery is not over right? Your treatment's not over. It's like any other illness, you know, it's, it's stable. It's always going to be with you. You've, like you said, you've got it managed and you're going to have flare-ups and you're going to need adjustments and, and it's a continual process. And so, you know, we want our, our listeners to know that, you know, we invited you today to kind of share that part of your experience. And I know you have, you know, a whole story and so much more to, to give, but I just truly from the bottom of my heart, I appreciate you coming in and actually just allowing yourself to be vulnerable not having control of the questions that might come your way and being so honest that maybe this can help even one other first responder and their family. I mean, for me, it's worth it. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Thank you so much. Very insightful. Thanks for riding along with us today. We hope our perspectives from the passenger seat helped you gain some insights to navigate the Leo lifestyle. For additional information and resources, visit us on Instagram at Ride Along Chronicles. Follow, like, and comment for more. Also, if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, hit the subscribe button. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions about this episode or suggestions for future topics, leave a comment or send a confidential email. See you on the next ride.